Father, we do love you. And we thank you for the joy of professing our love for you because you first loved us in your son, Jesus. And so now, would you continue to pour out your spirit upon us and open our hearts and open our minds that we would see Jesus and that we would see ourselves in him and him in us, that we might be encouraged and built up in the identity that you have given us as your sons and daughters, Father, in Christ Jesus. Lord, teach us, mature us, strengthen us and set us free to be who we are in your love. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So um, we continue our message series this morning. We're going through the story of God. So last week we took a big turn. We stepped out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Last week we celebrated the birth of Jesus. There's a little bit of Christmas going on in here last week. It was really fun. Um, and this week we continue um, looking at who Jesus is and what he has come to do in fulfilling the promise of a Messiah. And so as we look at um, the narrative this morning, the baptism and temptation of Jesus, we're going to see how um, Jesus is affirmed as uh, the Messiah through his baptism, and he's affirmed as the Messiah um, through his victory over temptation in the desert. We're going to look at baptism and temptation. What's going on with Jesus, and how does that affect us? What does that mean for us as we follow Jesus together with grace. So the story of God continues with this uh, dude named John, right? God raises up a messenger named John, and John's ministry is to tell people to get ready for the coming of the Messiah. So John heads out into the Jordan River, and he starts preaching a message. He preaches a very unique and specific message. It is a message of repentance. And so he's saying things like, look, don't just claim to love God. Show your love of God with all of your life. Turn away from your sins and turn toward God. And so as he's declaring this declaration of preparation for the coming of the promised Messiah. People hear and they want to respond and so he baptizes them. He baptizes everyone who confesses their sin and wants to dedicate their life to God. And that's why John becomes known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Now, here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is is that nobody had ever seen baptism before. No one had ever baptized before. And so what's going on is something new. It's something strange. It's something really weird. Because up until this time, this idea of ceremonial washing with water had only been done by the priests in either the tabernacle or the temple. 
before they would put on all of the priestly garments that God had instructed them to wear as they made sacrifices and atonement for the sins of the people, they would go through a ceremonial washing ritual for their whole body. So up until this time, it was only the priests that were doing this kind of ceremony. And now John is having everyone do it. Now as people repent of their sins and they dedicate their lives to God, and they symbolically are baptized for the cleansing and the washing to represent the purity before God. Like, everybody's doing this. And so it's strange, it's new, it's weird. And so people are beginning to wonder, well, maybe John's the Messiah. And then finally they come up to him and they ask him, hey, John, dude, are you the Messiah? And John says, no. But someone is coming soon, someone who's far greater than me. I'm not worthy to be a slave. I'm not worthy to stoop down and, and tie his sandal. You see, I'm baptizing with water. But the one who was promised, the one who is coming, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So prepare the way. Make ready in your hearts for the coming of the Messiah. He's coming. Well, guess who shows up? Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, it gets even weirder. You know why it gets weirder? Because Jesus wants to be baptized. And it freaks out John. And so John's like so confused by this whole thing. He says, like, Jesus, no, 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 you baptized me. I'm not supposed to baptize you. But then Jesus insists on being baptized. And it's, it's crazy. Like, Jesus is sinless, so he doesn't have need for repentance. Jesus is the Messiah, so he doesn't need to dedicate himself to himself. Do you see how crazy this is? So what's going on? Why does Jesus insist on being baptized? To publicly proclaim that he is the promised Messiah. That he is the Son of God, and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. It's about his identity, y'all. This is his inauguration. This is his coronation as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's, it's identity that influences everything else. Right? So can you picture it in your Holy Spirit-captivated imagination? When Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father booms from heaven. You are my son. I love you. You make me happy. I'm delighted in you. I am so well pleased with you. And what's amazing is this. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't, he hadn't done anything to earn the Father's approval. He hadn't, he hadn't worked or merited or strived to make the Father love him. He, he's just love because the Father loves him. He starts his ministry out of his identity. And his identity is rooted in the love of the Father. That's what makes him who he is and motivates him to be who he is. 
And so his baptism confirms his identity, and his identity informs how he lives and everything else he does. He took on flesh and became a human being, not a human doing. And when he beed, the Lord dude through him. Oh, what my English teacher would say now. I think you get it. Our identity in Christ influences everything. It influences everything. And that's why the gospel is a proclamation that in Christ, we are sons and daughters of the Father. We are dearly loved in Christ. We delight him. We make the Father happy. He smiles on us. And there's nothing that we could do that would make him love us more. There's nothing that we could do that would separate us from his love for us. Like he loves us. He loves us in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to strive and we don't have to prove. We don't have to do anything to earn his love. He has done it all and giving us his son. We're no longer strangers and enemies of the Father. He's adopted us as his children. We are full members of his household. We belong. We matter. And he's made us eternal heirs of all of his spiritual resources in heaven. But that's, that's who we are in Christ. That's our identity. We don't have to perform for the Father's approval. The Father loves us, and it's his love for us that's meant to motivate who we be. And out of our being then follows all else. Being comes before doing. Doing is a result and a fruit of being. Who are you? Where is your identity rooted? Because if it's rooted and anything else, anything less than in the Father's love for you in Christ Jesus, you're not going to experience the life that God created you to experience and enjoy. And our, our baptism, our baptism signifies and confirms that identity, right? Baptism is an outward visible sign of an inward invisible grace. It beautifully illustrates that we are buried with Christ in his death, washed and cleansed of all of our sins, removed and forgiven and purified as far as the east is from the west, and raised with Christ in his resurrection, signifying the old has gone, the new has come. We are new creations, free to love God with a desire to walk in his purposes, able to stand worthy in the presence of God forever. That is who we are. And our baptism signs and signifies what God has done in Christ. And the Spirit, as he did with Jesus, seals it and marks us forever in the family of God. And so we've been talking and we've been praying, how can we share our identity in Christ with the people that are closest to us, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors. Lord, we've been saying, teach us how to speak 
the gospel of Jesus, to speak Jesus in love with one another? And would you use us to help people see you, Jesus, and want to come into a relationship with you, Jesus? And we've been talking and praying that the Lord would do that in our midst so that on this Resurrection Sunday coming up in several weeks, we can sign and celebrate that new life, those new lives in Christ with baptism. On the website, you can find this baptismal preparation guide. Everything you've ever wanted to know about baptism is probably almost in here. I want to commend this to you. Again, it's on the website. I want to commend this to you as perhaps a devotional to take on over the next several weeks. I want to commend this to you as maybe um, helping you, encouraging you, and building you up in your faith around your identity in Christ Jesus as a son or a daughter of the Father. And I also want to encourage you to use this, maybe for yourself, maybe with a friend, um, to share the gospel and to lead them um, into a relationship with Christ and bring them into this community through baptism on Resurrection Sunday. Would you pray with me in that? Would you ask the Lord to put people in your, in your life that you can share this with? Again, that's on the website. I want to commend that to you. But the story continues. After Jesus' baptism, if you want to look in Luke chapter 4, in your blue Bibles, that's on page 859. But in Luke chapter 4, we see that after Jesus is baptized, he is led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, this is particularly strange again to me, because when I think about Jesus, I think that Jesus is the forgiver of my sin, and Jesus is the leader of my life, which is, which is true. But it makes me wonder, well, wait, who's leading Jesus? And what we see in this part of the narrative is that it's the Holy Spirit that is leading Jesus. And so it raises the question, if I'm a follower of Jesus, um, responding to the invitation to come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people, I get what it means to come to Jesus, to forgive me of my sin, but what does it mean to imitate Jesus, to follow Jesus? Well, I think what we see here is that discipleship and followership and true imitation of Jesus is that just like Jesus, we too would be led by the Spirit. I think that raises all sorts of wonderful questions. What does it mean for us to live a Spirit-led life? individually, in our marriages, in our homes, um, among our friends, among this neighborhood, in this city, to the ends of the earth? Are you being led by the Spirit, or are you being led by your own desires, your own agenda, and something other than the Spirit of God? It's a question I'm, I'm wrestling with in all sorts of areas of my life in this season of Lent. The story continues because the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert for a particular purpose, and that purpose is temptation. And it, it gets weird again. Like, why would the Father send the Spirit to lead Jesus into temptation? And that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Well, let's, let's back it up a little bit. It says in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Okay, so the word tempt means to try or to prove. 
In order to test the strength of something, we try it. We tempt its integrity to see how it endures. We determine its worth by how it holds up under pressure. So for the engineers and the scientists in the room, give me some grace, but bear with me. I went on the Google. I did a little research on this. And I found that the strongest known metal is steel alloy, and it's made even harder and stronger by adding carbon to it. And so it has what's called a tensile strength or a stress threshold of 122,000 PSIs. Something about my bicycle pump, right? And how many PSIs it takes to blow up a bicycle tower or, or a football? Like, not 122,000, right? Like, that's a lot of PSIs, pounds per square inch. And so I did a little, I did a little research. What, what, would, what would that be? And you're like going, um, maybe it has something to do with a weird airplane that's on the screen? Yes, it does. 122,000 PSIs is the equivalent of putting all the weight of an American Airlines MD-83 on a nickel. That's a lot of pressure, right? You see that? that that's what that plane looks like. It's, that's not life-size. Like, like, that's a big plane. That's a lot of weight. And so this, the Spirit is sending Jesus into the desert to be tempted, to be tried by Satan. For 40 days and 40 nights, Satan tries to get Jesus to break, to buckle under the pressure, to forget his identity, and ultimately to sin. Now, Satan's strategy is simple. It's the same strategy that he uses against us. It's the same strategy he used against Adam and Eve in the garden. It's, it's a simple strategy. He's not innovative. Like, he just does the same thing over and over and over again. Satan always attacks identity. You starting to see what's going on here? Over and over and over again, he attempts to deceive and divide and destroy, particularly by targeting three things. I want to share three things with you today. These have been incredibly helpful to me and in how I am surrendering to the Holy Spirit to be conformed more in the likeness of Jesus to the glory of the Father. These three things are so helpful to me. Appetite, approval, and ambition. Three A's, all right? Satan attacks Jesus' identity through his appetite. Turn these stones to bread. Satan attacks Jesus' identity through his need for affirmation. Jump from the temple to prove that God will catch you. And Jesus attacks Jesus' identity through his ambition. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world because they're mine to give. Okay, every temptation that Jesus faced and every temptation that you and I face or will ever face can be boiled down to approval, appetite, or ambition. So what I'd like to do is I want to show you how Satan attacks Jesus and explain how Satan uses the same tactics to attack you and me and then describe how in Christ we can overcome temptation and live out of victory because of our identity in Christ. All right, that's where we're going to go. Everybody still here? All right. So um, as we look at the story, Satan attacks Jesus' physical desire first, right? Remember the context? He's been in the desert 40 days and 40 nights. I get hungry after four hours, all right? Jesus hasn't eaten 
for 40 days or 40 nights. He's hungry. And so Satan decides that that's where he's going to get him. And so he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. So what's being tested? Will Jesus trust his father for his provision? Or will he choose to satisfy his appetite his own way and in his own power? You see what's going on? Like, can Jesus do it? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's the Lord and ruler of the universe. Everything is created by him and for him and in him. Everything is held together. Like stones to bread, that's not a big deal for the master of creation. He can do it. But Jesus tells Satan, no. Because the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, what Jesus is saying is that he knows the Father will provide for him because the Father loves him. And because he knows the Father's love for him, he can refuse the temptation because the Father will have something better for him. See, Jesus knows and emphasizes that our spiritual needs are equally as important as our physical needs. And Jesus trusts the Father to provide both. But what is he doing? He's focusing on his need for spiritual nourishment above his need for physical nourishment. Y'all, this is a huge lie that, that we are, are faced with every single day. God creates us both body and spirit. And so both our bodies and our spirits are meant to be nurtured by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God for the glory of the Father according to His design and purposes for us. But time and time again, we elevate our physical desires and our physical appetites above our spiritual desires and spiritual appetites, so much so that sometimes we just ignore our spiritual need for nourishment. And we focus on our flesh all the time. And so as we journey together through Lent, a great question for us is, can we trust the Father to provide for us? Or will we choose to satisfy our own appetites in our own ways for our own glory? So, so look, let me just be clear on this. Appetite is neither good or bad. Appetite is just appetite. It tells us that we need something. So our physical appetite warns us that we're deficient of physical nourishment. Like that's a good thing so that, you know, after four hours you don't black out, right? But our spiritual appetite warns us that, that we can become deficient of our spiritual nourishment and it's time to feed on the word of God. It's time to worship. It's time to come out of isolation and into relationship with the people of God. It's time to pray. It's time to listen. And so when our appetite is influenced by the Holy Spirit, we're led to life and to blessing according to God's design and what is really good for us. But when our appetite is influenced by our pride, by our flesh, by our own agendas, it leads to sin and separation, which is not good. So what are the different appetites that Satan is twisting or tempting you right now? Like that, that's what Satan does, right? He always takes something good and he twists it for evil. Is it food? Like food is good. 
like throughout Jesus's ministry, throughout the entire divine narrative, like food brings people together. Fruit, food is, 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 is about celebration and glorifying God. Like food is a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful part of God's story. But when we're motivated by ungodly desires and appetites, food can turn into gluttony. And we can use food to soothe and to self-medicate and to try and fill a spiritual desire that can only be filled by the Lord Jesus himself and our identity as a son or a daughter of the Father. Do you see how that works? And Satan just, man, he twists that. What about sex? Sex is the same way. Like, God creates sex. Like, it's a great thing when it is in the context of his design between a male and a female in the covenant of lifelong marriage. Like, sex is beautiful, and it produces fruit. Like, I got three fruits. <laughs> it's wonderful. But, but when Satan takes something that God intends for good and he twists it for evil and we utilize a beautiful God-given thing outside its design, it can be hurtful and painful and bring separation and woundedness and division. What about our bodies? Like, God creates us with these amazing machines. Like, like our bodies are so cool. I mean, Try and explain to me how the eye works. Like, it's just, it's amazing. Like, our bodies, if you just they, just, they just glorify the beauty and the wonder and the creativity and the wisdom of God. And we're meant to be good stewards of these bodies. I mean, he's taking care of these earthly homes that God has entrusted us with for a season. And I tell you what, I work out at Gold's Gym. And there are people that are staring far too long at themselves in the mirror. And they've gone far beyond stewardship, which is narcissism. Right? It can happen with material possessions. I'm like, like this, is, this is how the enemy comes after our appetites. And yet how Jesus overcomes and how we can overcome, which is to focus on the love and the provision of the Father, and that we don't live just physical lives. We are created to live and to be nourished spiritually as well. Okay, secondly, Satan attacks our identity around the area of approval. All right, so Jesus, I mean, 40 days and 40 nights, right? This is, this is a focused retreat, right? It's 40 days of focus. Can you imagine? I mean, that's good. Like, like he's praying. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's clear on his identity. He's worshiping. Like, he's clear on his purpose. Like, the God's just, you know, the Father's just spoken words of affirmation and love and delight. Like, he's on, he's in a desert, but emotionally, he's on a spiritual mountaintop. Like, this is what he's been waiting for since the beginning and before the beginning of time. And so Satan's like, okay, I'm going to attack that emotional desire. I'm going to attack his heart. I mean, like Jesus has just heard his father tell him, this is my son who I love, with whom I'm well pleased. But that was five weeks ago. And so Satan's thinking, well, surely he forgot. 
Surely his mind's wandering. Surely his heart has become set on something else. Surely, Satan wonders, I can get him to doubt and to deny his identity and seek it elsewhere. Now, that's what's going on here. And I know that resonates with you because Satan does the same thing to you and me. But look at verses 5 and 7. The devil takes him to, um, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he says, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he'll order his angels to protect you, they'll hold you up with their hands, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. What's being tested here? Will Jesus seek to prove his worth to God and to others, or will he rest in the approval that he already has as the Father's one and only Son? That's what's going on here. And so in verse 8, Jesus responds, no, because the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus knows the Father loves him, and because the Father loves him, the Father's going to provide for him. And because the Father knows how to provide what is best for him, and he trusts that, he's able to refuse the temptation to trust anything or anyone else raises an important question for us, y'all. Are we seeking to prove our worth to the Father or to others? Or are we resting in the approval that we already have from the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a big, big question. So in what ways are you looking for the approval from people, places, or things that are not God? Oh, do people think I'm good at my job? Do people think I'm a good husband? Do people think I'm a good wife? Do people think I'm a good parent? Do people think I'm smart? Do people think I'm handsome? Do people think I'm sexy? Do people think I dress well? Do people like me? Y'all, the enemy will come after that over and over and over again because trying to win the approval of other people is an addictive cycle that quenches the spirit and breaks our identity as sons and daughters of the father and so like jesus we've got to go to the source we've got to be able to base our identity in the father's approval of us what the father thinks of us what the father says of us and we have to give up living for the approval of others and that's why Paul says to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Because if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So how is the enemy messing with your identity in Christ, trying to lie and deceive and destroy you by getting you to set your mind and your heart on the approval of something less than the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Last one. Ambition. Finally, Satan attacks a spiritual desire. Um, the desire to belong, the desire to be important, the desire to matter, the desire to have power and influence. And so he comes after Jesus's ambition. Ambition's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing. Remember, it depends on what motivates it and to who you're seeking ambition for, right? whose fame you're living for. And so Jesus, like, 
all authority in heaven and earth already belongs to him. He's already the king of kings and the lord of lords. But what seems to be happening is that he's stranded. That he's been abandoned. And the only thing that he's ruling over is a bunch of scorpions and sand in the middle of nowhere. And so Satan thinks, okay, there's my foothold. I'm going there. Verses 9 and 11, the devil takes him to the peak of a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I'll give it all to you if you'll just kneel down and worship me. Do you see what's being tested? Will Jesus exert his authority and his power to promote himself? Or will he use his authority and power for the sake of others? See, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant. And out of love, he gave his life on a cross for the sake of others. So he became less that we might become great. He humbled himself that we might be exalted with him. He became a slave and gave his life as a ransom that we might be restored to rightness with God. Jesus knows his identity. And so he says, no, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' glory is unmatchable. His influence is beyond compare, and he has come to usher in God's kingdom. He's the king, and he will rule and reign over his kingdom and usher that in, and he will not bow down or succumb to any lesser kingdom. In fact, the day is coming where every kingdom, where every ruler, where every nation, where every tribe and tongue will bend the knee and confess Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord. It's not the other way around, and that's what Satan's going after. And it raises the question for us. Will we exert the authority and the power that we have in Christ Jesus to promote ourselves, to live for our fame, to build our own personal kingdoms? Or will we exert the authority and the power that God has given us in Christ Jesus for the sake of others? Because if we want to be first in the kingdom, we'll become last. If we want to be great in the kingdom, we'll become a slave or a servant to all. If we want to be exalted in the kingdom, we will humble ourselves. Because God demonstrates his power in our weakness. So the way that I'm working this out it's pretty challenging, quite frankly, because it exposes the pride in my heart. And so the way that I'm working this out is doing a few things like choosing to lose arguments on purpose. You're like, ooh, are you kidding? Yeah. What about practicing the discipline of not having the last word? What about playing a game? And letting your opponent win on purpose. Just to bless them, just to love them, just to build them up, just to play for the love of the game. What about going the extra mile at work and not telling anybody about it? 
So it says in verses 13 and 14, when the devil has finished tempting Jesus, he leaves him until the next opportunity comes. This is really important. The devil goes away, not Jesus. Right? The devil gives up, not Jesus. Jesus holds up under pressure. He defeats the devil, and he remains worthy to be the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because he alone is without sin, without fault, without blemish throughout his entire life. Jesus never rebels or sins against God. Why? Because Jesus is holy and he always does what is good and right and perfect. It's because he's God. And that's why Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who is not only able to sympathize with our weakness, but we have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. And so just as Jesus overcame because of his identity, because of his relationship, so we in Christ and Christ in us are more than conquerors. And so it says that Jesus returns to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Okay, this is really important. Jesus is baptized in the authority of his life and call as the son of the father is confirmed. So he goes into the desert with authority, but he leaves the desert with power. He holds fast to his identity. And so temptation doesn't result in sin. It results in increased spiritual power. And if we attend to our identity in Christ, that's what happens to us. In times of testing, our character is strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and we begin to live into the unshakable reality that we're children of God, and that Christ who is in us is greater than he is in the world, and we too can say no and speak the scripture, the words of life, and overcome trusting that our Father loves us, and he has something better for us than the wily schemes of the enemy could ever imagine. Don't buy the lie. Don't get duped. Don't listen to the evil one. Listen to the loving, good, gentle, gracious voice of your Father in heaven. He delights in you. He cares for you. And he promises that when we ask and seek and knock, that he will provide for us. Greater than we can ask or imagine. And the thing that he provides for us every time, the prayer that he never says no to, is more of his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a spirit of fear. We don't have a spirit of timidity. We have the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of love and of power and of a strong mind. And so in Christ, by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have the same power to become victorious over Satan and over sin. That is good news, y'all. Wherever you are this morning, however you're struggling with your identity, and whatever appetite or approval or ambition that the enemy is coming after you and trying to twist good for evil, this is good news. Jesus is good news. So how do you intentionally press into your identity as a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ and be who you are? If you will be who you are in Christ, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, you will receive the provision of the Father and the devil will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. You don't give up because you're more than a conqueror. The devil gives up because he's defeated in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds and trials, but these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ comes again. Look, God knows that we lean on him most when the pressure is on. God knows that we do our best growing when we're being stretched. So God will lead us in temptation and put us into places where our faith will be tested, but it will also be proved by the grace of the Father and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And here it is, you ready? That is why Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but if you do, deliver us from evil. When temptation comes, we depend on the Father for our physical provision. Give us this day our daily bread, Father. When temptation comes, we submit to the Father for our emotional provision. Forgive us, Father, of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. When temptation comes, we yield to the Father for our spiritual provision, for thine, not mine, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Do you see how that works? We are overcomers through Christ who loves us. We prevail through Christ who gives us strength. And so as we come to the table this morning, through the bread and through the wine, come and lay down your ambition, your approval, your appetites at the foot of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. Ask him to bury those, to crucify those, to forgive those, and to raise you up in new life with appetites, desires, and ambitions that glorify the Father and enable you to live out who you are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. We thank you that you made us and, and you know us, and so you know when enough is enough for us. So I pray that you would pour out your mercy in this place this morning, that you would pour out your provision in our lives this morning, that you would show us where the open door is so we, we know that we don't have to obey Satan, that we would know that there's always the way out and we don't have to sin because, Father, you are a great provider and you're always providing something better because you love to give good gifts to your children. So as we come, we lay down our sin and we ask and we seek and we knock for the Holy Spirit and for the good things that you want to pour out in us today. Lord, hide your word in our heart and give us the courage to speak it. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Give us the strength to resist the devil and cause him to flee from us. 
We pray, Jesus, for your sake and in your name.